0: Good morning on this Palm Sunday. I want to start today with some uh, with some rhetorical questions. Uh, First, let me um, well let me say let me say some of them are going to start off pretty easy in general, and then we're going to work our way into some that are more personal and uh, tougher. Uh, But let me assure you that I am not pushing any political agenda or uh, suggesting anything about anyone with any of these questions. Um, And also let me remind you that they're rhetorical. I just want to provoke some thoughts. So, do we still live in a nation that knows what is right? Right? Does our nation do enough to prevent the oppression of poor people, to ensure they are protected and that not done injustice in our courts? Now they get tougher. <laughs> Have you come here today genuinely wanting to worship? God and draw closer to him Or are you already thinking about what else you have to do today Do you tend to get more comfort from the things that money can buy or from the promises that God has made Have you ever been made aware of a person in need and failed to act generously to help them? Before making a purchase of clothes, electronics, shoes, or any other other things that we buy, have you ever considered whether or not those things were made from materials supplied by slave labor or even manufactured by slave labor. I told you they were tough. I just want to explain why I asked that last one. I, I doubt that there is anyone here who, is, who has intentionally, directly oppressed poor people. But what we tend to forget about is how our own consumerism affects the oppressed people of the world and contributes to that. I certainly didn't give much thought until recently uh, when Trevor and Sophie Claudson shared some thoughts about this with our small group. I looked into it a little bit since then. There's relatively little human slavery in the United States today, of course, but there are 46 million people around the world that are effectively living as slave labor today. That's what one, less than, more than one in 20 people in slavery. They're forced to work in factories, mines, farms, um, hard labor. They're sold for sex. They're trapped in debt bondage. And uh, among the countries that have the most human slaves are many of the countries that much of the consumer goods that we buy come from. India and China are by far the biggest in this. Indonesia, Thailand, Philippines, even Mexico and Japan are in the top 25. And uh, you may have heard the, the phrase... Your environmental footprint, it's a a measure of kind of what your lifestyle's impact is on the environment. I discovered that there is also a slavery footprint. Uh, You can go to uh, slavery, I didn't put it on your your white sheet, there's a white sheet in your folder, by the way, that has uh, notes to follow along with, Um, oh, there we go, slaveryfootprint.org if you care to look into this. So I went there and I took the survey which measures my slavery footprint. And I was shocked and I was saddened to find out that to have what I have has taken 33 slaves around the world to provide. Now I don't know how accurate the slavery footprint index is, but even if it's three times bigger than actual, That's 11 slaves. Even if it's 30 times bigger than actual, that's a slave. And that's too much. So it's clear to me that I and probably most of us are probably contributing to the oppression of poor people around the world and we don't even know it. Now, I don't bring that up today to be our topic of focus. I just bring it up to be an example of real sinfulness in our lives today. Oppression of the poor, comfort in worldly things, genuine worship, injustice, or ingenuine worship and injustice, these are are the same sins that the biblical prophet Amos was calling out the people of Israel on over 2,800 years ago. And the same things that Moses was warning the Israelites about 800 years prior to that. And the same things that Jesus was called the Israelites on 800 years after that. And here we are in 2017 and and, uh, with a lot in common with the Israelites of Amos' day, and we ought to wonder, is anyone calling us out on it? And the answer is yes, God is calling us out on it in every way that he communicates with us and reveals himself to us, and a big one is right here in his word. And today we're going to focus in his word on the book of Amos The book of Amos is one of the dozen shorter books um, in the Old Testament that communicate prophecy, thus referred to as the minor prophets. And uh, Amos is also another example of a regular guy that God called to do an extraordinary thing. He's, He's not an orator. He's not a philosopher. He's not particularly an educated man. He's not a religious leader or a political leader. He is a sheep herder from a small town, not even from the nation that God called him to go speak to. But he does. He goes, and in his words, which are breathed into him by God, those words are beautifully written, and they're immensely powerful. And I encourage you to read the book of Amos to experience that, uh, or listen to it on the Philida Bible app, or whatever Bible app you prefer. Our scripture today is going to come entirely from the book of Amos, uh, and uh, it will all be up on your screen. Some of it is on the white sheet in your folder. Um, If you want to try to follow along there, uh, please feel free to do so. It's all in the book of Amos, but I am going to be jumping around a little bit within the book. Uh, Throughout the book of Amos, this this terrible spiritual condition of the Israelites uh, is made quite clear. And we're going to look at some examples of that shortly. It's also made quite clear that God has had enough. Now, some might think, well, isn't that hasty? If you, if you want a child to obey, you communicate clear expectations. You provide encouragement and discipline. Well, and you, and you do that, of course, before things get to a boiling point. right? Well, God's not blowing his top here. He's just saying, I've had enough. This, this is enough, no more. His expectations have been clear from the very beginning. Uh, it, you can refresh yourselves on those in the first several books of the Bible. He even wrote them down for them. Uh, and in Amos chapter 2, he reminds them of uh, just some of the encouragement that he has provided in the ways that he has shown his love for them and provided for them and helped them along the way. Effectively saying, I'm paraphrasing here, I saved you out of slavery in Egypt. I provided for you and led you as you traveled to the promised land. I destroyed your enemies before you, enemies that were far more powerful than you. I gave you prophets and priests to remind you and teach you. God regularly, in his word, reminds us of what he has done out of his love for us. And he gives us encouragement to remember those things. But we, we so quickly forget, don't we? We just live in a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately kind of world. And evidently, the Israelites of Amos' time did too. Through Amos, God says, all this I have done for you, yet you have turned away from me. He goes on to say, through Amos, how he gave them opportunity to return to him. I gave you empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. I sent rain on one town, but withheld it from another. One field had rain, another one had none, and dried up. People staggered from town to town for water, but did not get enough to drink. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Many times I struck your gardens and vineyards, destroying them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your fig and olive trees, yet you have not returned to me declares the Lord. I sent plagues among you, as I did to Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword, along with your captured horses. I filled your nostrils with the stench of your camps, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you, as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You were like a burning stick snatched from the fire, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel. And because I will do this to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God. Now, we we tend to think of hard times like that: drought, famine, war, death, disaster, as times to question whether God is with us at all. That's our tendency but God's explaining through Amos here that he uses those as discipline. Calling us to return to him. But neither his encouragement nor his discipline seem to have any effect on the Israelites of Amos' day. And God tells them effectively, you evidently don't know me. Israel, it's as if you never even met me. So prepare to meet your God. Now, uh, I suspect that most everyone expect everyone here expects to uh, expects to meet God someday. Understands that they will meet God someday. Three out of four Americans believe in God and believe in heaven. I. Imagine that if you're in the one in four, you probably didn't come here today. Uh, But in case you did, I'm glad you are here. And I just have one question for you to consider. What if you are wrong? And if you're willing to consider that question, then the rest of this message is for you too. For everyone else, the question is, are you prepared to meet your God? Amos is communicating to us why the answer to that question is so important. And that's what I want to try to pull out of this book and convey today. Why it is important to prepare to meet your God First, if you aren't preparing, you are probably falling further away. Many have professed a faith in God. And uh, perhaps even started to live accordingly. And, uh, but then sins have f- fallen away, uh, reverting to old habits, and maybe even falling back into sin. And this is definitely what the Israelites of Amos' time had done. Uh, They were not three out of four who believed in God. They're four out of four who professed a faith in God at one time. But Amos tells us they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. But their lies have led them astray. And among the lies that led them astray are those that I introduced earlier. That the outward display of religion is more important than genuine worship and genuine love for one another. And through Amos, God tells them, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. They were, they were going through the motions, following the rituals and the rules, but not with a heart for God. Another lie that led them astray is that money provides more comfort than God's promises provide. Amos points out to them, you lie on beds adorned with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. This this is a life of luxury that many of these people were living. You strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. They were were making music for themselves, but not for the Lord. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions, but... You do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph, that is, that, that terrible spiritual condition that exists. One more example of a lie that led them astray is that somehow it's okay to get ahead by cheating and oppressing others. <laughs> through Amos, God declares, you can't wait for the Sabbath day to be over and the religious festivals to end. Again, going through the motions of worship, can't wait for that, so you can get back to cheating the helpless. You measure out grain with dishonest measures and cheat the buyer with dishonest scales. And you mix the grain you sell with chaff swept from the floor. Then you enslave poor people for one piece of silver or a pair of sandals. Most of the time, those who are falling away don't even know it, right? It's just so easy to go with the flow. To be influenced by the world that we live in. I mean, it's constantly trying to influence us, right? But Amos here gives us the telltale sign, the red flag. It's complacency, feeling secure because of the worldly things that we have around us, and therefore staying within the boundaries of those worldly things. Complacency. He says, woe to those who are at ease in Zion, that is Israel, and those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, referring to a a city that was practically unconquerable. Woe to those who are complacent. A second reason why it is important to prepare to meet your God is that, ready or not, he's going to insist on meeting you. <laughs> Amos, uh, he describes two times that God was about to put an end to this generation of Israelites. Once by swarms of locusts, which were described very well by Dan Abbotts in the last message in this series, And uh, and a second by fire so intense that it says it would dry up the sea and devour the land. Each time, each of those times, Amos pleaded with God to relent, saying, How can Jacob survive? He is so small. What a humble plea. And isn't it so true? Jacob, the Israelites, us, we are, we're so small compared to God. And God, thankfully, relented temporarily. The third time, the Lord said to Amos, Look, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. A plumb line is used to um, make sure that a wall is straight, basically. So, um, So he's saying that those not measuring up to the plumb line that God has set will not be spared. He says, for I will give the command and will shake Israel along with the other nations as grain is shaken in a sieve. Yet not one true kernel will be lost. So there's hope for those who are prepared to meet their God. But all the sinners will die by the sword. All those who say nothing bad will happen to us. That is, all those who are complacent. Too often, we don't, we don't think about preparing for eternity and instead we think about enjoying and prolonging this time that is meant for preparation. We don't think about it until it's too late. Charles Spurgeon, who's a really well-documented English pastor of the 19th century, wrote about this, and I want to quote from him. I do not know any more dreary work than to be called, sometimes at dead of night, "'to see a dying man or woman who has lived a careless, godless life. "'I often feel as if it would be better to refuse to go. "'For when one gets there, frequently the person is insensible. "'And what their friends imagine we, who are ministers, "'can do with insensible people is more than I can tell. "'Why, we cannot do much with you while you have your senses.' even while you are sitting here much that we say glides off you like rain off the roof of your house what can you hope that we can say to you when you are either unconscious or distracted with pain with your head aching and your mind confused and your soul am- and your mind confused and your soul amazed by the near prospect of the world to come god's grace can work miracles i know but i fear that this miracle is seldom wrought that the man who has neglected all his life to prepare to meet his God, should be able to light his lamp all of a sudden and go forth to meet the king just when the trumpet voice is sounding through the streets. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. A third reason that it's important We prepare to meet our God is that if you aren't prepared, it's going to be an unpleasant meeting. To those who are unprepared, Amos says, What sorrow awaits you who say, if only the day of the Lord were here. You have no idea what you are wishing for. See, they didn't even realize how unprepared they were. That day will bring darkness, not light. In that day you will be like a man who runs from a lion only to meet a bear. Escaping from the bear, he leans his hand against a wall in his house and he's bitten by a snake. (laughs) Yes, the day of the Lord will be dark and hopeless without a ray of joy or hope. If you're unprepared for that day. And relying on our own strength will not be enough that day. There will be no way to justify yourself, no way to resist, no place to run and hide. Again, describing this judgment on those who are not prepared to meet with him, God says through Amos, Now I will crush you down like a wagon is crushed under a heavy load of grain. Even the fast man will not get away. The strong man will not keep his strength, and the powerful man will not save his life. He who uses the bow will not stand. The fast runner will not get away. The horseman will not save his life. Even the strongest of heart among the men of war will run away without clothes on that day, says the Lord. An unpleasant meeting if you aren't prepared. So, understanding the importance of being prepared to meet your God. The natural question is, how do we prepare? So uh, I just want to spend a few minutes on that. How do we prepare? First, we have to ask Jesus Christ to prepare us to meet our God. Amos closes with the promise of God to restore us to him. He says, In that day I will raise up the booth of David, that is, the, 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 my, my people. I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen, and repair its breaches, and raise up its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, and all the nations who are called by my name. So not just the Jewish people, but all people who call on God. On all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who does this? And we know this is referring to the coming of Jesus Christ because it was referenced in the New Testament after Jesus' ministry and death and resurrection. Uh, It was referenced in the Book of Acts after after all that, and that is and in that reference they said, "This is now what we are seeing. These things we are seeing through Jesus." Here we are on Palm Sunday at the beginning of passion week you know why it's called passion week it's because during this week it's, it's this week in which jesus showed his, his true passion for us for by what he did for us what he suffered for us and gave to us this week he entered jerusalem on palm sunday hailed as a hero by Throngs of people laying palm branches and their own clothing to make a path for him, hailing him as a hero. And all the while he knew that these same people in a few days would be shouting out, crucify him, crucify him. This Palm Sunday I just I, I just ask you to, at some point, imagine yourself as one of those people along the side of the road as Jesus is entering Jerusalem. And you're, along with the rest of the crowd, laying down your palm branches or laying down your cloak for his path, and he turns and looks straight at you. And how is he looking at you? Is he looking at you as, bless you, because I know you are one of mine. Or is he looking at you with a com- tear of compassion, praying that you will turn to him so that he can pre- prepare you to meet your God? That is what he came to do for us, after all. Uh, a second The second thing is to keep seeking God. Keep seeking God. We're not not meant to live as the world lives, seeking complacency. That's what the Israelites were doing. The Israelites of Amos' day were doing, anyway. Instead, this is what the Lord says to Israel Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel, do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. These are all important cities where religious festivals and things, rituals were held. For Gilgal will surely go into exile, and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, or he will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. It will devour them, and Bethel will have no one to quench it. So Clearly, we are to seek him. And meanwhile, the world will keep trying to pull us away. So we have to keep our eyes fixed on Him, stay in His Word, encourage and help one another. This is an everyday, all the time thing. This is an ongoing process. Keep seeking Him. Third, ask God for the strength to submit, because it has to come from Him. This is too tough for us to do on our own. I I like what Charles Spurgeon says about this also. He points out it's impossible to submit to God out of our own strength. He said, Our rebellious heart will not readily yield. Our stubborn spirit will not easily bow. Our pride will not let us confess our sin. The dumb devil within us will not permit us to pray. And as we've seen with the Israelites, if we're just going through the motions of um, going through the motions instead of truly getting our hearts right with God, then we may as well not even bother. But on the other hand, if we if we are truly if we truly submit to God, if we're truly repentant, then the sheer enormity of what we have to be sorry for compared to the perfect holiness of our great big God, should drive us right to Jesus Christ. That's why he came, to prepare us to meet our God. He tells us that himself. He said he came to seek and to save the lost. He told his disciples that I go to prepare a place for you, Well, Amos goes on, he paints a beautiful picture of what it will be like for those that are prepared to meet God. I just want to share that with you in closing. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. That is, things are going to be so bountiful that we can't even consume it all. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted. Out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. Let me ask you to bow with me. Heavenly Father, I, I first just want to thank you for this word from, from you through Amos. Thank you for loving us enough to give us encouragement and to give us discipline and to give us your word that that makes it clear. Lord, and I ask that you work in each of our hearts who are hearing this message today, hearing your word today. So that we will, be, we will be moved to accept Jesus' great gift for us that we're reminded of on this Palm Sunday. His sacrifice in order to prepare us to meet you. And Father, I ask you to also give us the, give us the faith and the strength that will allow us to keep seeking you and to submit to you day in day out in spite of all that goes around on around us in this world help us to be help us to be different than that and to be your people and to be ready to meet you and be with you in Jesus name i pray amen